0: When I grow up, I wanna work for a woke company. Like super woke. When I grow up, when I grow up, I want to be hired based on what I look like rather than my skills. I want to be judged by my political beliefs. I want to get promoted based on my chromosomes. When I grow up, I want to be offended by my co-workers and walk around the office on eggshells and have my words policed by HR. Words like grandfather, peanut gallery, long time no see, no can do. When I grow up, I want to be obsessed with emotional safety and do workplace sensitivity. Activity training all day long. When I grow up, I want to climb the corporate ladder. Just by following the crowd. I want to be a conformist. I want to weaponize my pronouns. What are pronouns? It's time to grow up and get back to work. Introducing the number one woke-free job board in America, redballoon.work.
1: I have nothing to offer but blood. Toil, tears, and
0: sweat. They before us an ordeal of the most grievous kind. You ask, what is our aim? I can answer in one word. Victory. Victory in spite of all terror. Christians need to meet systematic unbelief with systematic belief. It's time to bring every corner of life under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Welcome back to the other club with Michael Teeson and Tim Tyso, your King of Nuance and Mr. Thick, where you get to pick every week who is the overstating uh, Mr. Thick and who is the nuanced king of course. So let us know in the show notes. Uh, let us know in the comments who is the King of nuance this week. Uh, Mike is looking to climb back in the points category. So want to let you know this show is produced by Liberty Coalition Canada in partnership of course with Christianweek.org. Liberty Coalition Canada exists to establish Christ's justice and righteousness and to defend those who stand. Christian Week exists to provide a practical, balanced, and hope-filled perspective on national and global issues. If you want to help support our podcasting work, please head over to com slash donate and click the analysis box. There, all your donations submitted go directly to Christian Week for the production of all of our podcasts and shows. If you wanna help support our legal and advocacy work, head over to that same Donate tab at libertycoalitioncanada.com and click Other Designations. You can also find our shows on the Fight, Laugh, Feast network by downloading the FLF app. So, Mike, you recently spent a week giving lectures at the Youth Worldview Leadership Camp. And I wanna know, I wanna bring you in now, why is this such an important issue for young people to understand? We're talking about worldview today And it's good to be back on the show with you, Mike.
1: It's good to see you again, Tim. And yeah, we're back from a week of intense and joyful um, worldview leadership academy. So um, right off the start, what we're talking about here in this show is developing a Christian worldview, what it is and why it is it important. And that first tagline that you used, Tim, they are Christians need to meet systematic unbelief with systematic belief. That's a tagline from the Ezra Institute. Uh, Friends of ours, uh, those, those guys over there are doing great work. And the Worldview Leadership Academy seeks to introduce young adults to a Christian worldview so that they're not left tossed back and forth by all of these different ideas of the world. And we're going to get into what is a Christian worldview in a few minutes, but basically the worldview leadership Academy along with the runner Academy and a number of other training programs are what Ezra does. And I'm a fellow with them and I enjoy spending some time working with these young adults. So, uh, th- that's kind of the gist of it. We introduce young adults to Christian worldview, cultural apologetics and Christian philosophy, all of those different topics.
0: I sense that we're going to have a lot to talk about today, uh, just in those last three phrases, right? So we, we want to help our audience today, Mike. Uh, we, we've said this before, we've got hundreds and thousands of uh, of people who listen to these shows every single week um, and we know that not all of you are confessing christians or self-conscious christians and we're aware of that and we're always glad you're with us we're always glad that you're supporting the show and sharing it um, and we know that a lot of you get irritated with us because we continue relentlessly to pound that christian drum and today's tagline is sort of the bullseye of that where we're at in a culture is that we need to meet systematic unbelief with a systematic belief that's the only way that we can work our way out of the cultural dilemma that we're in which uh, that's where our audience meets us right is we've recognized that the culture is in a severe state of decline and chaos and we're on this show saying uh, you're not going to find the solution in some sort of Uh, neutral space or, or particular set of data points that we can just pull out and say, here, everybody, let's, let's agree on this. And I wanted to set this up a little bit, Mike, that'll, that'll that'll help us. Um, You know, you're, you're the expert, I I think really in this, you've, you've done so much good work on this published work. Don't shake your head. You know, those, those young kids, it must've been fun. I wish I could have been there. And, um, but uh, you've done a lot of work on this and I think you're great at communicating this, but there's a quote that I wanted to kind of tee up because I think it, is going to help us tease out what are some of the critical questions to answer this question because we're not just bringing to the table a topic that everybody's uh, inherently familiar with. And they'll say, oh, yeah, worldview. We all, we just got to make sure our worldview is intact and doing the right thing and going the right direction. I think a lot of people are saying, what are you talking about when you say worldview? Um, and so I want to bring a quote in by um, an English Anglican uh, novelist and a philosophical critic named Harry Blaymeyers. uh, he died about six years ago, in his 101st year, actually. He said, uh, this, this English Anglican said, quote, The mind has become secularized, which wouldn't be so bad if the Christian mind had held out against secular drift. The Christian mind has responded with a weakness and a nervelessness unmatched in Christian history there is no longer a christian mind there is of course a christian ethic christian practice in prayer and spiritual practice the christian seeks to cultivate a dimension of life unexplored by the non-christian but as a thinking being the modern christian has succumbed to secularization he accepts religion its morality and worship its spiritual culture but he rejects the religious views of life a view which relates all problems social political and cultural to the doctrines of faith and sees everything here below in terms of god's supremacy so there is so much in there mike what what jumps out at you as being sort of most poignant and and sort of incisive about uh, what Blameyer says there.
1: So I think what we have to understand is w- what Blaimayer is getting at here is the Christian's ability, and and we've heard this for you know decades in the church, in in, in growing up to the church, we've we've heard of the idea of a Sunday Christian, you know, the Christian who can go and be involved in religious ritual. So they can go, they can, they can sit, or they can stand when they're told, they can pray, they can lift their hands, they can worship, they can sing, they can open up the Bible and listen to sermons. And they accept, and that's what he's getting at in prayer and spiritual practice. You know, they can go home and they can do Bible devotions. They can read things like the daily bread or or kind of more sophisticated Christians would be uh, looking to, you know, Spurgeons, uh, mornings and evenings for devotional reading. And they they can actually accept a number of religious behaviors well. But what they haven't done, and this is what he's getting at is they haven't recognized God's supremacy throughout all of life. And so when they walk out into the real world, all of a sudden, these, these private beliefs seem to quite naturally fall under, um, or, or evaporate from a room full of individuals who would say, well, um. That's a nice private belief, but in the public world, that just doesn't work. and and where a Christian worldview, you know, comes into uh, into play here is cultivating those thoughts and those um, those applications of God's Word out into the out into the real public space, utilizing, a vision of the world, which you get from Christ and Christianity, which then enables you to have a vision for the world. So, if you, if you were to look at any basic worldview training, it begins with that thought of your worldview is your vision of the world. So, you're receiving facts, and you're receiving you're, re- you're interpreting the world around you through a certain lens. And just like the glasses on your face, you, you if you were to tint those glasses, you would actually see the world differently. So Christians are interpreting the world around them based on the premises that they get from scripture. And then also from scripture that turns around and says, okay, so now I have a vision for the world. And so it's, it's both receptive And then it is prophetic in the sense of, I, I, I hear the words of God for his creation. And then I turn around and I speak the words of God to creation in order to build society. And we're going to talk about that a little bit. And Tim, just Just before I, just before I wrap it up, I I want to just explain, you know, these, these four little basic lines. So your worldview is your most basic beliefs about life in the world. And again, I'm saying, we're saying a Christian gets that from faith in Christ through the revealed word of God, then it is also your answers to the big questions of life. Um, the ultimate questions of life. Why am I here? Where am I going? Is there a purpose? Um, and then, like I just said, it's how you interpret the world. And then it is your starting point for decision-making and mm-hmm. for dialogue. And and so in all of those ways, it's this vision of, and it is a vision for.
0: So if I could clarify one thing, um, because in all of that, um, a lot of our listeners, I think a lot, and people outside the show, maybe people, our listeners want to reach to help um, bring on board with some of the changes we we would like to see in our world. Uh, they would say, well, so Christians have a worldview, that's something they've chosen you know they they work at life through a worldview um, and and that's that's a religious decision whereas me they may say I I myself don't need a worldview I, I don't have a particular uh, set of convictions yeah, or beliefs a great point. I I go through life unlike the Christian open to any possibility I go through life open to the facts open to science I will go wherever the truth leads. I don't have a pre-commitment to anything. Um, And I think a lot of Canadians, um, a lot of uh, thinking Canadians, I think would very sincerely hold to that view. And this is where we're actually trying to pierce that bubble. We're trying to pierce that misconception. The, The premise of this show today is that you do have a worldview. You're working with one right now. You're listening to this show through your worldview, and you you may not notice it. It's like if you're born with a pair of glasses on, you've never taken them off. You don't realize you have them. You are already interpreting the world through your worldview. <clears throat> and the reason we say that is, and make, Mike, maybe you can correct me on this, but I would almost reduce the definition of worldview to your worldview is simply your faith commitment. And that is to say what do you believe is ultimate about this world is it the physical material this world is made of is it that there is some sort of pervasive spirit that unifies all material that we are ultimately all one all all creation is your view that truth cannot be known is that is that your ultimate commitment that no one can know anything so so what is ultimate to you is it language is it sexuality, like Freud said? I mean, they, there's lots of different suggestions as to what has what is ultimate for those who do not accept God as ultimate, which Blaimyer said, accepting God as supreme in all things. What is ultimate? Your your worldview is defined by what you choose to center as ultimate, which means to what do all other things in your experience answer? What is the first ranking? Um, and first order priority in, in your world and to and then how does everything else so conform to that and subject itself to that? So so that's what we're arguing is everybody has a worldview commitment. Something is ultimate for everybody and that is your faith commitment. That is your moral and, and, and you derive morality and decision making and the big questions like you said out of those things. But you have to start with acknowledging and discovering what is ultimate for me. Um, so maybe you can jump off that, mic and kind of talk about how do you discover what that is, um, and and how do we begin to formulate a worldview consciously as opposed to passively or just, you know, whatever the, whatever the mob is doing, because a, a mob worldview um, tends to get you run off a cliff with no <laughs> idea where you're going. Okay, so...
1: Yeah, hold hold your horses on that one, Tim, because I know you kind of want to get into some of the specific popular worldviews that are out there right now. And you just nailed pantheism, you just nailed naturalism, you you nailed some things that um, that we need to unpack right now. So let's just go back to this idea of the ultimate assumption. So, so your worldview is your ultimate premise or your ultimate presumption, I presuppose so like you just mentioned if someone who says i believe that only nature exists there is nothing outside of nature then their assumption is that all of the meaning of life and all of the purpose of life can be found in the natural world in in in, in material world yep and you ask them then, okay, what are the root causes for A or B, and what of the what what are the root goals or what are the ultimate goals? And it's it ha it has to be reduced to my physical pleasure. So n- so a naturalist ultimately has to um in some way land at this reality that life is about physical pleasure, which, you know, it leads to hedonism or nihilism or all of these other isms, you know, pantheism that you talked about there, Tim, when someone says, well, I believe in God, but God's, you know, just in and of everything. Okay. Well, the ultimate assumption there is that there's no personal accountability that, that, that there's no, there's no personal offense and there's no personal virtue. So the the pantheist is left to, describe, to to try to discover right and wrong in this very non-personal way you, you can't bump into a buddhist who says you know i you know um desire is a problem and and you unpack that and go oh so then your goal is to remove yourself from all desire that's a very impersonal world to live in and of course, then Christian theism is the, we presuppose God exists. God is a plan for the world. He is sovereign over creation, which means he's, when we say he's sovereign, we we typically mean he's in control. But we also mean, and we get this from Colossians 1, that he deserves control. So mm-hmm. it, it's it's not just the fact that we recognize God's in control, but we recognize the fact that God deserves our obedience. That's what we mean by God's sovereignty. So in these three different worlds, you can see how quickly some of those popular things that we're going through, and I'll throw the baton back to you for this one, lead to some of the ethical situations that we face or the ethical systems. So if you believe that you're only material, uh, meaning that, that, you, that you're, only, you're only cells and those, your only body, um, that that there is nothing. There, there's no God beyond the natural world, or if you believe in an impersonal deity, which which doesn't judge you based upon right and wrong, but um, but about this this balance of nature. Well, that will lead you to certain ethical systems. And Tim, why don't we jump to those because you're aware of those? So we should talk about utilitarian ethical systems and then relativistic ethical systems. And again, I'll just encourage you in here, let's, let's try to move and compartmentalize this one. So once you unpack those two systems as popular systems, you know, then let's move on in our discussion, maybe more to talk about recapturing a Christian Mm. worldview and a Christian mind.
0: Well, I'm glad you brought up a naturalism and and have and brought that into and kind of linked that up with utilitarian ethics. Because one thing that jumped right into my head, Mike, was was when you assert in your worldview that we are nothing but physical um, beings, um, that all that matters is the cells and the cellular structures and the cellular condition of your body. Um, that's how we got the, the the COVID chaos that we just went through, where we essentially let. Uh, biologists who, who count antibodies and, and cellular health, we, we let them determine the course of all humanity for two years, um, not recognizing that that's a worldview at play. That is a worldview that says all that matters is whether or not you catch a virus. And this is why pastors and lawyers and all these people were standing up and going, you didn't ask us. And because there's a worldview at play where it says, well, religion is just a matter of personal preference. Um, And so that's why religious people who were told, uh, who who continued to worship and devote themselves to God, they were called selfish because the worldview behind that says there is no actual God. There is a God of your own making or imagination, and that's fine in a free society, but but it's a personal preference, which is why selfishness um, was always thrown out to religious people, Christians especially, who wanted to worship. And what's ironic is that Christians fell into that, calling other Christians selfish for for worshiping God. Um, They were taking a materialist worldview as opposed to a Christian worldview. And so, of course, in that we get utilitarian ethics. And Mike, I'm gonna need you to correct me a little bit here um, on my philosophy, but utilitarian ethics is essentially uh, whatever works, whatever satisfies the desire of a person is permissible um, in, in their in their life. So there's no ultimate direction. There's no transcendent direction for anything. It's just whatever works to do whatever the job uh, that needs to be done is. But But there's no message from above. There's no word of God that comes in and says, this is what the human body is for. And that ought to govern how you treat the human body. And of course, we have specific issues on sexuality and the human body today in terms of pregnancy and abortion and um, transgenderism, all of those things are the fruit of a utilitarian ethic, which is if I'm, let's say if I'm pregnant and I know I need to pursue my career instead of becoming a mother, then the child must die. That's utilitarian ethics. If, If what I want is to pursue liberty outside the home, then I'm permitted to do what is required. And so there's no transcendent law that says, hey, that would be wrong. And your your desires are not ultimate. There is something higher to which we answer. Um, that's how we get utilitarian ethics. It comes from a naturalist and a materialist worldview where there's no God to interrupt whatever impulses we might have.
1: And, and so on a point of clarity there, Tim, what you were describing would be a relativistic um, ethical, like a cultural relativism where mm-hmm. it – where relative – where – where the right and wrong is tethered to the individual. And and then that that ultimately works itself out in a utilitarian ethic in in many respects because a utilitarian ethic says what works the best for the most. So there's this battle the 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 individual becomes supreme, but then at the same time the individual has to argue with everybody else and eventually win if the if the individual wants to be left alone. And Tim I really want to bring back to how you framed this conversation because I, 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 we kind of have gone down into the details, but I want to bring it back because you you had the right observation at the beginning of this, and the right observation is is that the reason why we're talking about this is because Christians at church presuppose that God is real and that they that he's due worship, but then out in the real world, what happens is. Somebody says, oh, you, you start with these premise, this is going back to your first point, Tim. And the Christian goes, oh yeah, that's right, I am totally unfair, I'm not neutral, I am narrow-minded. Um, oh yeah, that's right, um, you are neutral. You're a great secularist who can reason, and even though you deny God, and you deny that men uh, are men and women are women, and you deny that the Constitution actually says these things, You know, uh, I have to give over to you in this area because you're the authority. And and this is why we're talking about this, Tim, because a Christian with a strong Christian worldview understands the starting points of other worldviews Mm. and is able to see where other people are coming from and then bring every thought captive to Christ and destroy the other worldviews through the word of God, rather than being easily deceived and bullied. Now, look at people have heard us talk about this, Tim lots, but it's this claim to neutral knowledge. And they would say, no, you Christians don't have neutral knowledge, but we do. And the reality of it is, is a a Christian who is walking by faith, who has developed a Christian worldview, go, no, 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 wait a minute. We all start by faith. We all start by faith. Now this is where my faith begins. This is where my authority comes from. This is how I would apply it. And this is where that then philosophically leads into all of these areas of life. Your religious and philosophical assumptions begin here, and they lead there. But hey, friend, nobody gets to say you're the neutral player. You're the one who's reasoned your way uh, to this
0: uh, to this time in history. Right, and can, and I just want to bring up something that our listeners might remember, and that's when we did uh, the Liberty Lounge. And we responded to an email from, a, from a, a person on YouTube who said, you know, you religious wingnuts, you're just as bad as the leftists because you have these, these biases that you're bringing in and you're essentially just leading the blind down the garden path just like the leftists are doing. What we need to do is come at these um, with, with the data and the facts. And it was Matt Halleck on that show from Liberty Dispatch, and I want to give him credit, who said, this this is plainly refuted in front of us because what we have in front of us in the gender dysphoria chaos is a very obvious set of data points. We have chromosomes. We have sexual um, organs. We, we have procreation. We have a natural family structure. All of these things are plain scientific facts and have been for thousands of years. But when a person whose pre-commitment is the physical world is not as important as my inner perception you meet those physical properties as barriers to your religious experience which is the elevation and the realization and the fulfillment of an inner fantasy so when you meet those data points they are they are barriers to overcome to, to remove, to destroy, and that's literally what doctors are now willing to do, is to destroy those things such that a person's inner fantasy can be realized or fulfilled in the physical realm. And that's why you, you we just say, well, look, they're just male and female. All you got to do is show them that. But it's the, it's the worldview that says the physical world was designed by somebody who had a purpose for it, who would say those physical indicators demonstrate a purpose. They're not random, and they're not inconsequential morally for how we use them. And again, the secularist might say, yeah, but I listen to you guys, and I agree with you, and I just don't—I agree with you without having faith in God. Well, all you're doing is borrowing our worldview. And and I don't say that to, to cause offense, but to recognize the reason that you don't subscribe to those fantasies, and the reason you don't have all these other wayward beliefs is because you've absorbed them through other people. You've absorbed them through a Christian culture. You've absorbed them through a Christian upbringing, whether it was conscious or not. And so you're, you're borrowing the ethics that only the Christian worldview can bring. And this is why we're calling people back to say, it's actually not enough to agree with us socially, politically, and culturally. Um, if, If you want to see this chaos reversed, um, then then we're going to need to dig down deeper and find out what has to lay at the foundation, and we need to do some foundational work. So, Mike, I'm going to pause here because I want to bring in one of our sponsors, Rocklink, uh, because it's one thing to tune into a podcast like this with people that you know and love, Mr. Thick, and the King of Nuance, and just kick back wherever you're driving and say, yeah, these guys nailed it, right? But it's another thing to go into the public sphere and, and have these discussions with, with your financial advisor, your financial planner, or your grocer, or the butcher, or the candlestick maker, right? So, we want to bring you our sponsor, RockLink, and make you aware that they at RockLink are concerned with the same issues that we are. They're willing to have open and honest conversations with you to put you on the right financial track to achieve your goals while mitigating the risks that surround us in the chaos of our current economic culture. So ask yourself, are you getting that kind of service and alignment with your financial institution currently? Email rocklink, that's R-O-C-K-L-I-N-C at info at rocklink.com or visit them at rocklink.com. That's link with a C, So check them out. Also,
1: Tim, we want to let our listeners know right now about our upcoming Spark Pastors Conference. So this is being held at Mount Pleasant, South Carolina, October 31st through November 1st. This is a great two-day event where we are encouraging American pastors to learn from Canadian pastors who have been fined or surveilled or imprisoned. And so, folks, if you are interested in learning about our stories and, and uh, hearing about this type of stuff uh, in, in the real world, this is going to platform Canadian stories, which highlight and illustrate current evangelistic, legal, and cultural challenges facing the church in North America. Tickets are only $50 for the two-day event. We really want you to go sign up. So go sign up at sparkconferences.org. That is spark conferences.org if we can get the first one launched we'll likely uh, hold a a few more so we we named it plural so come to this first event in south carolina it's going to be a great time right when it's getting cold in canada you can come down to south carolina and uh, for our american listeners again this is going to help get the word out in america about you know what what happens if if the church is complacent when it faces all these changes so Let's tell our listeners about that and move on. Tim, you were just talking about worldview, and particularly you were talking um, about um, all of the ways that these ideas um, are floating out there. And Christians tend to think that we're the only ones who have a starting point. And our starting point is somehow narrow-minded. That's not the truth. Everyone has a starting point. That starting point is by faith. You are either by faith accepting someone's imagination of the world, or you are by faith accepting God's revealed word about his creation and uh, his vision for the world.
0: So I was, I was listening, Mike, this week to RJ Rushdooney. Uh, And he had a lot of interesting things to say about, and this is from 1994, this is uh, now a 30-year-old material. Uh, And one of the things that struck me that I thought would really fit into this conversation was when he talked about our current culture shifting authority in terms of worldview, in terms of what is ultimate, who is ultimate, what does everything answer to. We've gone from a culture that sees God as that ultimate, and we've shifted that actually to man so man has become the center of man's world and that may seem like well of course we are you know we live with families we get married we have kids we we are the the dominant species on the planet we kind of are the center but what's missing from that in a Christian worldview is to say, yes, we were placed here by God for a purpose to further God's interests and to further God's supremacy and sovereignty on the earth. So that, that's the slight difference. So our, our RJ Rush, says this culture is, is attacking with their worldview. And this goes to your point about starting with a narrow minded worldview, a starting point, And it's only Christians. No, no, no. The secular, um, postmodernist who says that man is now God or at least has the authority and sovereignty of God has to attack the Christian worldview so they too have a narrow starting point which is that they have a target there is something they need to dismantle if this new worldview is going to flourish and he said this of postmodern revolutionaries he said they do not act in terms of a purpose or a direction except to overthrow anything other than the infallible present, which sounds a little bit like kind of philosophical mysticism or kind of some gobbledygook. But what he's saying is the postmodern relativist, if relativism is truly going to stand free in this world, and that means nobody's going to come along and challenge it. Nobody's going to come along and attack it. Nobody's going to come along and say, hey, you actually are, you were born a man, weren't you? Right? I mean, that is now criminal in Canada to say that to the wrong person. So there is a distinct attack on anything other than the infallible present. You are what you say you are, you can be who you want to be, you can marry or involve yourself sexually with whomever you desire and nobody can challenge that by fine of imprisonment or financial. And and and, and that is just what that's exactly what RJ Rushdoony predicted, which is that it's an attack on everything other than the infallible present. And all challenges must be removed. So what we're trying to show you is what's happening in our culture is a battle of worldviews. It's not just random chaos. It's not just incompetent liberals. It's not just madness of the mind. It's not just craziness. It's not just a culture gone crazy. It's a worldview playing itself out. In the very same way, the Christian worldview for hundreds of years had been playing itself out where we would put an end to barbaric practices of of child sacrifice and um, burning people at the stakes, you know, in terms of uh, witch hunts and um, cannibalism and all of these human practices that Christianity um, has has put to the fringes of society. They're being brought back um, in a way that is a demonstration that worldview is very powerful in a cultural way. So this is, I mean, in Ontario alone, and I just want to use this illustration, Mike. We have in Ontario what's called All Families Are Equal Act, which has tried to erase the obvious and natural origin of the family, and now allows in Ontario four legal parents to be listed as a child's parents, irrespective of the biological relationship to that child. I mean, it sounds crazy, but these are the ways that the natural functions of humanity are being swept aside and now unnatural and superimposed or fantastical sort of um, imaginary visions for society are, are now being imposed even on children. And so there, there's a worldview battling it out. And this is happening in science. It's happening in, te- in technology. It's happening in the economy. It's happening in family ethics. It's happening in education. And so, Mike, let's move the, wrap up the conversation with what are the ways that we can build versus influence and, and how do how can we respond to um to, to this very real battle and how can we get in it if we're not there yet?
1: So the answer to that question comes out of this idea of the infallible present that you're talking about. So the infallible present is just this reference to the human's ability to be, you know, the, the human heart to be a, an, um, um, a, a factory of idols, uh, just one, one thing I want to the next thing I want. And, and, and the, the human, the human experience is so often boiled down to these infallible, um, anecdotal stories. So I'll give you an example of this. So we we were, we were with a, a number of Christians over the weekend and talking about something very basic, like education. And everybody who listens to this show knows that I have a hobby horse about education. And the basic question that I kept asking the question, the Christians in the room was when was the last time you thought about God's vision for education? Like, What does God say about education and what should we do about it? Because if you go, if you went around the room and each person was talking about the different struggles they were having with their young adults and and what they were going through and some quite extreme, uh, some of them were, you know, at some of the most aggressive pro um, LGBT trans um, ideology schools in Scotland and had moved from, their kids being there to, you know, trying to figure out how to get them somewhere else and and send them to a Jesuit school where like they're arguing with the Jesuit priests about transubstantiation and and their kids don't understand uh, that the priests need to eat every little wafer that's left over. And, and so it's this, it's this mass confusion. And I I just, I, I asked a few of these Christians when these stories were being told, well, what does God's word say about education? And that's really, Tim, where the conversation ended, because nobody had thought about building Christian education based upon Christian thought. They were simply trying to influence from a very personal level and anecdotally a system that was created by those who are anti-Christ. And this is where we get all the way back to your first quote. This is where we um, where, where we bring everything together. Where the Christian mind and the Christian worldview is this place where I go, no, 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 we're we're going back and we're starting by answering the ultimate questions according to Scripture. Then we are a developing a, a we're developing um, a plan. We're developing thoughts in order to build something. And we're going to build it from the ground up because – and we're going to do it in the way that God had fashioned it to be created. So again, people are trying to reimagine marriage right now. Um, And the more and more I'm a pastor – Tim, you know this experience as a pastor yourself. The more and more we pastor, you go, look, if, if you don't have a man who will lead his home and you don't have a wife who will submit to her husband, you have a recipe for disaster. And you can kick at that. You can pee into the wind as much as you want but you're going to get urine on your legs.
0: It's always coming yeah. back. Say that again? It's always coming back.
1: Yeah, it, it's, it's always r- coming right back at you. And so this idea of Christians living off of anecdotal stories, but this is what my child wanted. This is what I think. This is the experience that I had. That's really what Rush Dooney is getting at both in the secular mind and in the and in the in the current cultural popularity of these notions that the individual and their anecdotal stories are the foundation. And the way that we build and influence at the same time is you go all of the way back to the beginning and you look at God's word um, for answering the ultimate questions as we've talked about, and then applying God's word to these real institutions that that exists. And Tim, you, you, you touched on that with science and technology, and we can talk on that with education and law. And, and this is the things, these are the things that the Ezra Institute tries to teep, de, uh, teach deeply on. And it really goes back to that, that simple thing about, you know, am I telling an anecdotal story about how I feel? Um, or am I, am, am I going back and carefully examining God's word to say, this is how we build a school or a family or a church or a government and taking very seriously the 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 the, the god-given reality the that that god has a vision for all of these things
0: there's a um there's another blameyers quote actually harry blameyers that i want just to just it dovetails r- perfectly with what you just said mike and and he says quote there is something before the christian dialogue And that is the Christian mind, a mind trained, informed, and equipped to handle data of secular controversy with a framework of reference that is constructed of Christian presuppositions. So everyone has presuppositions. He's saying you need to be equipped with Christian presuppositions to handle the framework of these controversies. The Christian mind is the prerequisite of Christian thinking. And Christian thinking is the prerequisite of Christian action. And that exactly goes to your point, Mike, which is that we cannot respond in an anecdotal fashion. We need to meet systematic unbelief with systematic belief, not not with pot shot, try to run and slap a Band-Aid here and try to slap a Band-Aid here. Um, I think we, in our culture, have vastly underestimated um, the time and work and training that it takes to actually build things that influence culture and actually build a foundation for multiple generations. Um, okay, because wanna... we're always kind of trying to grab the water leak and just stop it quickly. But there's something much deeper to do.
1: And the reality of it is, is we're not even trying to stop the water leak. The reality of it is, is many Christians believe that we are just one hole in the bucket as well, that we are a problem. So, this is what happens when you give into a secularist mind, when you give into a natural framework, when you give give into a utilitarian ethic, people actually convince you that you're the problem. And so I, I agree that, that that's a fantastic quote, Tim. But what I'm trying to get at is that is that moment by moment temptation to deny Christ. The moment by moment temptation that it is to actually not live by faith is so real, and it and and you if you're an undisciplined th- mind, if you if you haven't considered these things deeply, you just get swept along to just the dumbest, stupidest pres- um, ideas and premises. It, it, it's like you're not even able. You, you, it, Maybe a better metaphor is so the person who doesn't think they're a part of the problem they're a part of the solution um you you're you're just like you said you're putting a band aid on 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 the bucket hole and but you but maybe instead of using a real band aid or like um actual adhesive glue or anything the band aid you you try to do it is you try to press up like a stuffy bear against the hole and all it does is the water comes out of the bucket and makes you you absorb all of the garbage coming out of the bucket and you think that you're helping when in reality you haven't even started and so Tim that is a fantastic quote um that that you're addressing and and I, I I'm just pastorally right now trying to help people understand we are so far away from this it's not even that we're we're kind of tripping up to this and thinking rigorously. No, we're that we're that teddy bear that is absolutely absorbed of the, the of the muck coming out of the water, and it all comes back to: Do I presuppose that God created the heavens and the earth, that He sent His Son, uh, that humanity has sinned against God and needs redemption through Christ? That Christ has not only come to save, but he came to save and then to teach the, with all authority the way that we should live. And then, that, then, he, then he was resurrected from the dead and became the King of kings and Lord of lords. And all of every possible place in the world deserves that we bring Christ into it for the forgiveness of sins for those who will repent and for the restraint of evil and that requires you to stand your ground and tim as you said as as this great quote have a christian mind
0: i just want to close with psalm 115 2 through 8 because i just i want to really anchor this idea that at the root of our cultural collapse is a religious problem it is a problem of faith we are putting our faith in the wrong place we are putting the wrong thing in the throne where god belongs um and and we are suffering the consequences verse 2 in isaiah uh, in psalm 115 says why should the nations say where is their god our god is in the heavens and he does all that he pleases that is god is sovereign god is in control sorry that's a worldview commitment their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. They have eyes, but they do not see. They have ears but do not hear. They have noses but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel, and they have feet, but they do not walk. They do not make a sound in their throat. So that's the contrast between the God of the Bible and the God of Christianity and the and the idols of man. One does all that he pleases. The other can do nothing. The other is the work of human hands. It performs nothing. And then the last verse explains the cultural rot that is at the root of idolatry. Those who make them become like them, and so do all who trust in them. So what is it saying? When we follow after idols that we make, we become as stupid as the creations that we're chasing and worshiping we do become stupid we do become crazy we do become mad but it's not a random act it's a religious commitment that leads to insanity that leads to dumbness of the mouth and uh, deafness of the ears and uh, bluntness of the hands a lack of skill a lack of ingenuity a total lack of of all the good things that 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 cause humanity to flourish and we are in we are in a crisis on on every sphere in our culture right now. And so this is why we've claimed at the top, we need to bring the lordship of Jesus Christ into every corner. Jesus belongs on Wall Street and in fact owns Wall Street, Bay Street. He owns Harvard. He owns uh, you know, you know the halls of power, Congress and Parliament. He, he he not only belongs in those places, he owns them and they are meant to be directed toward him. And so the the worldview begins with this Definition. Why should the nation say, Where is their God? Our God is in the heavens and he does all that he pleases. That's our starting point. And we act in terms of that. So keep following the other club for more worldview discussions, for more philosophical, economic, all the hard hitting subjects. um, Mr. Thick and the King of Nuance want to help you with that. And it's up to you to choose this week who was your king of nuance and so it's just always great to be with you to our listeners special shout out to those that i've run into up in muskoka uh you've been a joy um spotting me and uh you know giving me a little pat on the back it's always appreciated mike thank you for everything you bring to the table at the other club and we will see you next week